Have you ever had a crucial conversation with someone which felt a bit like a car crash? Is there something that you'd like to see changed at work or home, but you get shot down whenever you try to raise it? And do you wish that you were able to have calm, rational conversations without feeling like you might say something wrong at any point? If so, this episode's for you. I'm joined once again by Dr. Ed Pooley, GP and expert in communication and time management. We talk about how and why seemingly innocuous conversations can suddenly take a turn for the worse. How to get your point across in a way that someone else can really hear and the perils of ignoring the emotional elements of any issue or interaction. So listen if you want to know why we sometimes get an unexpected reaction to a seemingly innocent statement. Listen if you want to know the three elements you need to think about in any crucial or critical conversation. And listen if you want to know how using a simple framework and plan for a crucial conversation can save you a whole heap of time and trouble. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, life hacks for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris. I'm a GP turned coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. And I'm interested in how we can wake up and be excited about going to work no matter what. I've had 20 years of experience working in the NHS and I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed, worried about making a mistake and one crisis away from not coping. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, working harder and longer, and the heat has been turned up so slowly that we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to the low-grade feelings of stress and exhaustion. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options, stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog. And that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your destiny and to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you will simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and thrive, not just survive, in our work and our lives and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. 
It's fantastic to have with me on the podcast, well, back on the podcast, Dr. Ed Pooley. Ed's a GP and he's an expert in communication skills and time management. He runs a a rapidly growing Facebook group all around difficult conversations and communication. And it's fantastic to have him back because the episode we had before, time management in a system which sucks, has been incredibly popular. I think people have found it really helpful, Ed. So thank you for coming back on. Thank you for having me. It's it's a pleasure to to join in again and carry on the conversation. Yeah, so we we said we wanted to get you back on because we we didn't quite fix time management, did we? I mean, that might take no. another couple of maybe <laughs> another decades. couple of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> And then it will be sorted and we'll all be absolutely brilliant. One of the things we were talking about in the last podcast, and just encourage anybody who hasn't heard that episode to go back and listen, was about the fact that there are all these reasons why we we struggle with managing our time, managing our workload in, in a very, very difficult system. And the podcast, we were talking about the things that we can do ourselves to make a difference. You know, what, what can we do? Because we are only in control of ourselves, of our own actions. And we touched on the fact that eventually, actually, you are going to have to tackle factors external to you and look at the system in which you work. Now, in my experience of trying to do any of that, you very soon butt up against resistance, against people who can't see the need for a change or resistant to change or, or worried about a change. And that's where we get into the realms of difficult conversations. I think particularly when people feel that you're criticising the way they've always done it and they start to get defensive. So in terms of having these conversations, Ed, let's just start off by asking you, what are the main problems uh, that people are encountering in trying to have these, these conversations, do you think? I think a lot of it is, is exactly as you said. It, it's, it's almost as though we fear speaking to people about things that, that may in, may make them feel criticized or may make them feel on guard and i think for me one of the one of the eye opening things in terms of my practice in in communication skills and and speaking to people about having difficult conversations is that almost always they they are about emotion and they're about identity so i think it's really helpful to separate out these these three streams of communication that we have whenever a conversation is difficult we have the what is said, uh, we have the emotional content, and we have what the meaning of that um, conversation has on a person's identity. So, for example, you know, when we have difficult conversations, we almost we we're almost willing it to be almost like a sugar coated grenade. It's kind of we want it to be delivered in such a perfect way, in such a the exact exactly perfect spot on choice of words to make our message as well received as possible and the other person is going to go oh yes i fully understand what you said perfect i'll adapt but we know that that never happens and the reason that that never happens is because of the conversation you're having and what it means for that other person in receiving that information and what it means in terms of how it makes them feel as a person so as you say one of the one of the challenges we have when when talking to somebody else about time management is that very often we're not talking to them to to say well done your time management is excellent you know what you've done is has made my life so much easier we're often talking to them because we're cross or frustrated or something has gone wrong for us and we're almost looking for to, to deflect that 
that sense of irritation. It, you know, it can't be us. It's got to be someone else. And we looked in the last podcast about things that we can individually do to optimize our own time management. And so if we feel that we've done that, we may then start looking at other factors within the system and, and pointing fingers. And that's where that, that first layer of, of the, the conversation comes in, the what if. And we often have this sort of blame game where I'm right, you're wrong, which is the, the main thrust of what is said. You're, you're almost trying to prove that your perspective is, is correct. And that's often the first hurdle we go wrong at. Mm. That's really interesting. And I'm just thinking about some conversations that I've had that I was quite shocked about the outcome and, and where they went. And reflecting on what you've just said about, you know, it's about what is said and the emotional content and the emotional impact and the impact on people's identity. When I've spotted things that can be improved, I have sometimes just gone up to the person who I think could improve them and told them exactly what I thought. And then been really surprised when I've had a very negative or defensive oh. reaction. I remember having a, a long chat with someone and saying, well, I think, you know, actually if we could do this and we could do this, and actually this has been really difficult because of this. And about a month later, this person said to me, yes, Rachel, when you had your massive rant at me about how dreadful I was. And I, I thought to myself, that's interesting because I never saw it as having a massive rant at him about how dreadful he was. I was literally just saying what I've seen wasn't working and what I thought would be better. But I hadn't figured on the fact that he had taken everything I said as a direct and very personal criticism mm. of him. I just thought I was giving some feedback on some things that could be better. I, I think that I think it's I think what's really interesting about that is if you if you pull apart the word rant, you know, what does that mean? Usually what it means is that that one person is talking and one person is receiving the communication. It's normally one way. And the word rant is quite emotive, which tells me that the other person would have had some emotional buttons pushed. And so the way they've they've framed that to you is, you know, that they've used the word rant for a reason. But it's interesting, actually, if you look at those things in hindsight, that, you know, your message may have been correct and, and you may have been absolutely um, on the money in terms of things that need to be fixed. But what tends to work better is if there's a degree of balancing in the communication. And, and one way that you could approach that, I mean, not you specifically, because you're an expert in how to talk to people, but in, in oh, terms I'm, I'm of... I'm a complete expert, not. <laughs> Ask my husband. <laughs> so one tip would be, you know, if you're going to have that kind, of, that kind of conversation again, is to say, well, I noticed this. What did you notice? This was going on for me. What was going on for you? And instead of it being about blame, which is, this is the way I've noticed things and I want this to change, is actually to say, well, I've noticed this, what have you noticed? And you're inviting the conversation to be more balanced. And, and you almost cannot then be accused of ranting, even if the majority of the conversation is you putting your, your idea or, or observations across. Yeah, that's interesting, because actually, often in these conversations, it's not it's not the points that you're making. And often the person you're talking to will, will agree with the points that you're making, yeah, won't absolutely. they? They'll say, actually, yeah, I absolutely agree. But it's it's whether they feel accused, whether they feel that you are implying that it's their fault that they should have done something about it, which mm -hmm. I guess immediately triggers their amygdala, puts them into their sort of sympathetic re response. And that's when you then close down and, and you don't listen, do you? 
I th- I'm just reflecting the mistake I made was not even considering that my feedback was going to be triggering for that person. Mm. I hadn't considered the context, the fact that this person had been working in this place a long time. Therefore, some of the things I was telling them weren't very weren't working very well. They had actually set up. So I hadn't realized that it would be taken as a direct criticism of them. I just thought they'd be like, oh, okay. And I think when we go into organizations, I'm thinking particularly of, of, of surgeries and, and, and practices, new people who come in and can see the changes that, that, that can be made, go in there with the best intentions in the world, but they, they haven't considered often the history and how things have evolved. And, and then they give this feedback, which can then just feel like a complete criticism of everything that's gone before and have you noticed that or am I completely off track here no I have you what you end up with is that you are you're effectively trampling over the work that other people have done rather than evolving it so it's often better to think about well what has gone before and why has it gone before and have we sort of become stuck in that in that comfort zone where it's kind of working okay there are occasional complaints about the time it takes for documents to get processed, or there's an occasional episode where a Friday on call or a Friday will go very badly wrong. But what we need to be doing is is almost insulating ourselves against future change because we all, the majority of systems become more complex over time. It's this kind of the idea of organizational entropy. And if a system is going to become more complicated over time, or there's going to be more demand on a system we have to prepare ourselves for that rather than sitting where we are is to say well what what could happen and and it's better to take the people that have developed the systems that are in place and say well look let's try this as an exercise let's see what would happen if we crank up the demand by 10% 20% 30% how is our system going to evolve to meet that challenge because i've noticed that there are some things now that for me in in my role within the system don't don't really help me do my job and i'm aware that there may be things that don't help you do your job so why don't we sit down together and and work out what we're happy with and what we're not happy with and how we can adapt this system that works well in some areas but perhaps needs tweaking and that's that then becomes a very non-threatening thing because it's not about what is going on now and what is wrong it's about what happens if and so it's a kind of almost a, a non-threatening way of adapting a system. Oh, I, I like that. So it's all about depersonalizing it and saying, Absolutely. what happens if I, I, I do remember a conversation I had with the team and they were saying, well, we, we need to do some future planning because we're not quite sure if this GP is going to leave or not. And it was the elephant in the room that they couldn't ask this particular GP if they were going to leave. And this GP had a, a very prominent role within the practice. Mm-hmm. But I was able to say to them, actually, it's not about this person. What if any of you, li- what if what if yeah. one of you gets really sick? It's not just, a- and as soon as it wasn't about that particular person, they could then have the conversation about it because then, yes, it was, it was what happens if. Mm. There's uh, Edward de Bono, who's one of these kind of people who thinks about things philosophically, has this uh, specific word that he calls Poe. I don't really buy into it, but he's kind of, when he says Poe, he means let's talk about the possibilities that we can imagine going forward. And 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 actually what we're doing is by by thinking about possibilities, we're engaging the inner child rather than the inner chimp when we're talking about fears and 
it's all going wrong. What are we going to do? Panic, panic, panic. Oh, that's that, that's really helpful. I had never thought about depersonalizing stuff by using what if. What if? That's a really good. That's a really good tip. So you need to depersonalize stuff. And if you do, are there any other problems that you see in the in the content in the what is said stuff? I think one thing that can happen if you depersonalize it is there is a risk that you'll leave the emotional content behind. So we very often feel a sense of pride when we talk about, oh, we had a we had a very sensible conversation and we we totally left emotion out of it. And you think, well, that's okay. You got you got the you got the message across, but did you get the meaning across? Because a depersonalized conversation risks losing people. They they won't they won't get why the, there is a need to change. It's almost like receiving a memo. It's so well, that's that's great information, but what, why do I need to buy into that? And actually by engaging the emotion and using statements like I feel, or how does that make you feel? Or, you know, does anyone else feel quite excited about this possibility? Or am I, am I gauging the mood wrong? And, and, and actually depersonalizing, but, but making sure that you're not leaving emotion out of the picture, I think is a really authentic way of communicating with a team. Because if you, if you don't have the emotional content, if anything goes wrong or you need to revisit that discussion, you can then say, well, actually, I know a bit about I know a bit about how Ed feels about this. You know, Ed was very excited to change this part of the system. So actually, if I criticize him, he might take that the wrong way. And I wouldn't want him to, because actually I'm just making a suggestion, a bit a bit like the example you gave at the very start. And so I think people having an awareness about how you feel about things what it means for you and and certainly when we talk about identity if you're if you're the kind of person who likes to come up with ideas and implement them and you and you get a degree of self-worth from that if your ideas aren't listened to or implemented you're going to feel very irritated and frustrated being in a system that doesn't listen to you and that's different to a system where your ideas have been accepted and looked at and evaluated and then kind of say well yeah, actually, there is some really good stuff in here. Let's let's run with it. We can't run with all of it because actually, for X, Y, and Z reason, that, that may not work for us. But how about if we try a little implementation of that, get some feedback, and if it works well, you know, what a great addition you've made to how this system works. Mm. So you ignore emotion at your peril, but actually it's much better to be expressing it as, I feel this, rather than A, assuming how other someone else is going to feel, or B, forgetting to think about how they might, how the, how you might trigger them, how you might trigger those 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 feelings and reactions. Yeah, uh, and we certainly use that approach. These sort of I statements, I feel, I believe, when we're talking about assertiveness training, because the, the same principle applies that you are giving an authentic statement of how you feel, and the other person is is then not able to in some ways, criticize you because it's not, I think, or this is my idea. And the person says, well, that's a silly idea. Or you're acknowledging that there are various parts to a conversation. You know, there's the, there's the, there's the words, the emotion, the identity. And I think having awareness of all three makes you a very, very powerful communicator and very powerful influencer. And it's, and it feels much better when you're the recipient or the communicator giving that message. You, you just feel heard and listened to in a, in a in a different way it's not without its challenges because there are some people who really don't like talking 
um, in emotional terms or who might see it as a little bit wishy-washy or a little bit sort of like we're not we're not really dealing with the issues we're dealing with feelings and feelings are important but you know for the majority of, of people actually it's important to have both content and feelings mm. I think we're very bad at being able to express how we feel I was listening to a podcast, one of the Wrong and Chatterjee podcasts about how to develop really authentic relationships. A fantastic uh, couple of people who run a course in Stanford about how to develop really good relationships in the workplace. They were saying that often when we say we feel, we're actually talking about our thoughts. Mm, (laughs) So I feel that you're not listening to me. (laughs) That isn't a feeling. That's a thought. I think that you're not listening to me and I'm assuming your intention. I don't actually know that. What I should be saying is I'm feeling upset because you're not making eye contact with me and I'm, wor- I'm worried that you're not listening to me. That, that's very different and it takes, takes the judgment out of it. But I think we often do confuse thoughts and feelings. Yeah, we, we, we do all sorts of little, little games to get us out of saying how we really feel or diluting our message so I, I was I was reflecting back when you when you gave your first example of, of going into a situation and giving your feedback certainly what I used to do was to say oh, it's all gone terribly wrong here hasn't it it's all it was all sort of depersonalized but it it wasn't owning it it was also kind of being attacking as well but in a way that wasn't about me and you it was about oh let's this system's just all gone wrong hasn't it and and, and again if you're if you're not communicating the message you need to communicate, that's when things start to go wrong. So actually, it's easier to to make little adjustments to systems and to say how you feel rather than save it all up. So if we look at, for instance, giving feedback, a, a very popular model of feedback is something called the Corbs model, and Corbs is an acronym which stands for clear, owned, regular, balanced, and specific so if we're going to give feedback you know you need to give a very clear statement about feedback don't don't be wishy-washy about it you can say you know what have you noticed about what happened or what went wrong here this is an observation that i've made because one of the things people often get wrong with feedback is they say oh everyone's noticed which tends to put people on on edge really really quickly because if you're the person receiving feedback, you're then looking around going, well, this doesn't feel very safe anymore. Everyone's noticed this about me. And giving regular feedback as well. So not waiting for things to hit crunch point and then jumping in because you have to do something. Giving little bits of regular feedback, positive and negative, which is the balanced part of it, is actually really helpful. And I like to think about it in, in terms of how autopilots work. You know, they make little course corrections on a plane's journey to keep it on track. They don't they don't micromanage, which is where you have a very, very set trajectory and any deviation is is not tolerated or even allowed. You you allow little deviations and then you say, well, are we still going in the right direction? Are we still doing okay? Yes, we are. Carry on. And the specific part comes from, you know, if you're going to give feedback, don't make it about everything's gone wrong or you're always doing this to me. Make it about something very specific because if we deal with that, then we can usually find a solution more quickly. I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, 
Brilliant Badger or Mighty Mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. Mm. Well, that's that's really good advice. I remember going on a, a marriage course years ago, and they they sort of said, "When you talk to each other, you are banned from saying you always or you never." Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because it 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 kind of it, it makes it not about a specific event. And if you're if you're making it, it, it's what we call almost like a an identity level challenge. You know, it's it's the difference between saying to a child, "You did something." naughty versus you're a naughty boy you know if you if you receive the message all the time that you're a naughty boy that's going to have a very different psychological impact on you than if what you do is naughty which is almost by definition modifiable so what if you need to have an assertive conversation or a difficult conversation with someone about something that they have done so actually this is quite personal maybe about their manner or about the way that they've treated you or someone that you've seen or something that they are doing regularly that's causing real problems. So actually it is quite difficult. It's easier to depersonalize stuff when you're talking about a system. Yep. Like I don't like the way we file our results around here, but when it's like, I don't like the way that you seem to be leaving all the visits or not seeing those last two people or just, you know, leaving and leaving, dumping all the work on me, stuff like that. <laughs> on earth do you, how on earth do you do that? I think that, I think the trick here is that you have to, so the first, if that was if that was me in that situation, I I wouldn't use the word feedback because feedback tends to put people on high alert. I would say something like, "Can we have a conversation about the visits?" Okay. So I've noticed that there are quite a few visits that seem to build up, and no one likes to do visits. It's kind of a frustrating thing that we have to deal with and, and manage. But I've noticed that you don't tend to do very many of them, and I just wondered why that was. Is that is that something that I have got wrong or is that really going on? And if so, how do we rebalance that? Because we all really have to do our fair share of these visits. And if if you're gonna if you're gonna give feedback, they kind of in sort of the Harvard communication courses, they talk about this as an identity wobble where you are midway through giving feedback and then you kind of go, Oh, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. I'm giving someone bad news or challenging information. And then you end up softening it. So, for instance, if you've got to tell an employee that actually you've you've got to fire them, you it, it's better to to continue the statement with what we call and statements. So you can say something like, "I'm really sorry. I know this is going to come as a as a big shock to you, but unfortunately, we have to let you go. We we can't keep your job open anymore. And the reason for that is because things aren't financially viable." And we're really upset to see you go. And one of the things that's been really vital to us has been having you working with us for now. And what we're going to do to make that an easier transition is we're going to help you in X, Y, and Z way to help you move forward because we want to recognize the service that you've given. That's very different from from saying things like, actually, we need to fire you and we need to let you go. But I'm not really sure whether that's something that has to happen now. So I'll go back and speak to someone and we'll, we'll have a rethink and see if I can change the outcome, which is where, you, you know, you get caught up in this. You want to soften the blow because it's a difficult thing to say. And so you almost hold out this sort of olive branch of hope that 
it may change and you, and you kind of hope in the meantime that that person may get the message that actually it won't and that that isn't a very authentic conversation and it's it's done because the message that we have to give is is a is a difficult one it's 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 kind of like the relationship one we need to break up but we'll stay friends you know that 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 kind of situation isn't doesn't really tend to work out very well in the long run and you just end up drifting apart so why not just make a clean break and 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 move forward with your life mm. oh, i'm just yeah i i really don't deal very well with conflict despite doing workshops around <laughs> conflict <sighs> because nobody likes it do they and, and when no. you just said that thing about visits i i'm gonna bit of a challenge here ed because i I was with you until you started talking about it's not very fair. Okay. And then I thought to myself, if that was me, at that point, my back would have gone up because I would have felt you were making a judgment on me saying you're not being fair. Yeah. And I think that would, I think if I was in that, in that moment, having that conversation, part of it is responding to that. So if you can see someone's heckles raising, you know, you can say, well, this this is my observation. And actually what I want to do is I want to get your input on this. To me, it doesn't feel fair. How does it feel for you? So what you're doing is you're turning that from, from that I'm right, you're wrong into more of a learning conversation. So yeah, I should have made that. I should have chosen my words more carefully there about this is my understanding and this is my observation. What I'm interested in is what's your observation on this? Is it that actually <laughs> you're sitting going through loads and loads of quaff stuff and actually earning lots of money for the practice rather than visits. Because if that's an unseen thing and I'm judging you on the one bit that I can see, maybe I'm not seeing the big picture. And actually then that might lead to a conversation about maybe you're really worried about the financial elements of the practice and you're less worried about home visits, but actually maybe we should all be worried about the financial elements so that we don't have other conversations where you come to me and say, well, you're not pulling your weight financially. You know, it's, it opens up the conversation by turning it from a from a, a kind of an I'm right, you're wrong conversation into a learning conversation. I think that's a really, really helpful distinction to make. I think it, for me, that illustrates how just how careful you have to be with the way that you phrase things and just a, one nuance of it's not fair or to me, it doesn't seem fair. And it's really important to point that out. It doesn't feel fair because then the other person can see what the impact is on you. And also what you're doing is revealing the story in your head about what, about what's going on. Mm. And then the other person is able to correct it. Like you said, if, if what they were doing at lunchtime was dealing with all the staff crisis and staff problems that no one had to deal with, then, then fair dues, you'd probably go, yeah, I'll go do your visits. You carry on, you carry on doing that. And so to be able to reveal what the impact and what the story in your head is so that the other person can then correct it or challenge it or come back with what the story in their head is. I think it's really important. And again, on the, the podcast I was talking about listening to, we'll, I'll put the link in the show notes because it's really helpful. They were saying, if you're not disclosing this, these sorts of things, if you're not disclosing what you're really thinking, then how on earth are you ever going to sort stuff out? Because mm. people are not mind readers, are they? Oh, and, and we, yeah, and that, that's a really interesting thing because we often get caught in the trap of of thinking that people are. You know, the number of times that colleagues have spoken to me and they've said, you know, I really wish so-and-so would pull their weight around here or I really wish they'd just get how busy it is. 
And you think, well, maybe they don't know because we're all different. And actually, maybe this is what you're noticing in with it's a little bit like going around with blinkers on. You you kind of notice the thing that you are focused on, but maybe you're not seeing the big picture. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't state your perspective and and contribute because you're all actually walking around with blinkers on. Maybe you could all sit down together, share your view and actually build the picture that really exists rather than one that you're just focusing on. Yeah, I think the key to that is like you just said, it's the story in my head. This is how I feel, not necessarily what's going on, but this is what I'm thinking. And then everyone else gets to share what their stories are rather than the you've done this or you haven't done this is what I'm thinking is this. And it's it's much, much more neutral way. And also it acknowledges the fact that perhaps, just perhaps I, I could be wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Because th- there is that. And actually being being able to put the stuff out there and acknowledge that you may have had a skewed perspective or you may have been wrong or or not wrong, but you may have not seen the big picture or, or you may have been completely incorrect, actually gets it out there and, and moves the conversation forward. You know, we've all been in situations, and this, this comes up a lot in, in romantic relationships, where you have an argument and you say things, and then afterwards you kind of have the almost the debrief where you're like, well, I didn't mean to say it like that. What I really meant was this. And then the person goes, yes, I understand that. It's like, well, why didn't you have that, that conversation in the beginning? And then all of the, all of the frustration and all the anger could have been avoided. Yeah. Oh, all this is it again. And I think I say this in every podcast I do at the moment. Why didn't we learn this at medical school? I think, I think, I mean, I've, I've thought about this a lot. It's certainly in terms of, of the work that I do in in, in talking to medics and, and tr- sort of trying to improve communication of, of healthcare professionals with each other and the patients is that we, we often assume we're good communicators until we're told otherwise. And it's one of those things that you, and I've certainly had this where you, you just think, well, I'm, I'm okay at that. There's nothing wrong with my communication. And part of that is that we are almost, particularly for medics, we're, we're fed this this idea that we're very good or we're very clever or that we're perfectionist and it becomes part of our identity. We, we sort of think, well, we're, we're good at everything and, and actually we're not good at everything. And, and that's okay. You don't have to be good at everything. You have to be good enough at one thing, which is medicine. And if you wish to be good at other things, then you can learn the skills for that. But if you assume that you're good enough already, you won't look for the, 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 the other options until either you're made to or until something goes wrong. And and that's the kind of thing we want to avoid. How important would you say it is to learn how to have these difficult conversations? I think it's vital. I think, you know, we, the majority, certainly for, 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 you know, the medical audience that's listening and, 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 you know, I know you get a lot of lawyers and solicitors that also listen, you know, the, the bulk of our work is, receiving information via communication and giving information via communication. The knowledge bit of our job is about how we process that information to make meaningful judgment from it. But everything that we do is based on how we communicate with each other. And a large part of what we do involves a lot of emotional topic discussion and very challenging situations. So why not do that to the best of our ability? So Ed, if somebody wanted to just start off with a small conversation and they just wanted a really quick framework for 
for having it. What would you suggest? I know you've already mentioned that one, which is the cause. Corbs, Corbs, Corbs framework. Are there any? Are there any other quick tips or frameworks or, or models that are helpful? So I think I would recognise that there are three strands to all the communication that we have, which is the the words that are said, the emotional context, and what it means about you as a person, both as the recipient and the and the and the provider of the information. I think that's that's crucial. I think the second thing is that difficult conversations as with everything, gets easier with practice. So if it's something that you want to practice, start with something that is low stakes. You know, start saying how you feel when a situation is just starting to drift rather than when it becomes very, very serious. And I think the third thing is if you have a framework, frameworks make give you a plan and plans prevent chimping. They prevent that that stress response because you know what you have to do. You know, we, I think, I think I mentioned last time, you know, we've, we've both been in, in situations where we're dealing with resuscitation events. Almost all of the training around resuscitation events is about the focus on the plan. We have a very clear plan of what do we do when we're feeling incredibly stressed and, and in that frame of mind where we can't really focus on, on lots of things, you know, it gets easier with practice but the plan helps us. And I think frameworks like Corbs or other or other techniques for learning how to talk to people when there are difficult conversations works really well. Mm. There's a framework called Bocker, which I've come across, which has helped me actually, which is state the behavior. So non-judgmental yeah. feedback, say what the outcome of that behavior was. So rather than you yelled at that nurse in the practice, practice meeting, you were horrible and you really upset her. It's I noticed you raised your voice. The outcome was that she stopped talking. There were tears in her eyes. The consequences were seized for consequences. She then didn't contribute to the rest of the meeting. And I think A stands for action. So actually yeah. what I'd like to do, it would be really great maybe if next time you could just let her finish and maybe it might be worth going to have a word with her or something like that. So sort of, again, it's this non-judgmental judgmental stuff. What about non-violent communication do you do you sort of use many techniques from from that yeah i think i think it's a, i think it's a phenomenal set of work so you know this is stuff that evolved in kind of the the late 60s early 70s dealing with really really big profound issues around race identity sexuality gender and about how we have conversations where there is going to be a lot of difficulty where you're dealing with people who are from vastly different views. And actually, you know, learning to share experience and learning how to understand where another person is coming from and to try to see things from their perspective, you know, works really well, but it, it does require practice. Mm. I think what I like about nonviolent communication is that this, this core principle that behind every communication, there is a need. Yeah. So what is the need that that person is trying is trying to communicate here and 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 what need do I have so what need can I what requests can I can I make at the end of that so I think I think that's really helpful Ed just well that for me though is just a starter I think we need other more specific conversations about conversations because you know out of all the podcasts I've recorded this these ones about conflict mm. about difficult conversation that I think are some of the most popular and also the most needed because it does strike the fear of God into people and nobody really 
enjoys it, I guess, unless, unless you're a complete psychopath and you enjoy upsetting people. But it's difficult. And I think if you want to develop into an authentic leader and a, 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 a good leader, you, we really, really need to know how to do this. So are there any particular resources that you would point people towards? So there's a really, there's two books that I, I recommend for almost everyone when dealing with conflict. So the first one is called Getting to Yes, which is quite an old book. I forget the name of the first author, but the second author is William Urey. Um, who's Fry, I think the first author. Yeah. Fry and Yuri. The second one is is William Yuri's second book, which is The Power of a Positive No, which is talking about what it means when we say no and actually we're saying yes to ourselves. We're not avoiding, we're not, we're not being aggressive, we're not, you know, it, it gives you a set of, of, of techniques for dealing with things. And the third one, which I found really helpful, certainly in terms of my medical work, is a book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, who's a uh, former FBI hostage negotiator. And he talks about, well, how do you have conversations where, you know, there are potentially lives on the line with people who really only want to talk about what they want and don't want to hear what you're saying? And and how do you have that kind of conversation? And some of the techniques he, he raises are, are absolutely brilliant in terms of how they can be applied to everyday life i think there are possibly some practice meetings that almost get into <laughs> the sort of i want a million pounds situation. of a helicopter to get me out of here yeah uh, oh dear I th- and i think the reality is and the importance of all this is conflict is everywhere and either you talk about it and you have those conversations or it's still there but it's just festering under the surface and that is never a healthy place for an organization is it no, we end we end up in almost this this cycle of organisational passive aggression, which doesn't doesn't help anyone. It makes everyone feel on edge. Things don't get fixed because you're too worried about upsetting some person in in a part of your organisation, and then the whole system slowly grinds to a halt. Yeah, totally. So we need to know how to do this. So Ed, what would your three top tips be for? starting to deal with conflict? I think the the things that I would say, number one, is when you start to recognize that there's an issue, find a way of authentically communicating that. Don't leave it to sit until it becomes a bigger issue. The second thing I would focus on is what, what can I see about this issue? What are things that I may not be able to see? You know, have an awareness of the other perspectives that may be going on. And step three would be have the conversation, just do it. Because even if it goes wrong, it's it's in some ways better to start the conversation and then fix it if you have to, than just simply let it fester. Thank you. That has always been my experience, actually. Always been my experience that I'm really worried about it. I think it's going to go wrong. And even if it does, the relationship's actually always better after that conversation. Yeah, we, we kind of build up the fear in our heads, don't we? When when there are those frightening experiences or things that provoke an emotional response. And, and I kind of liken it to horror films. It's always better to see the monster than it is to imagine the monster. You know, when you when you watch horror films, it's always more frightening when you can't see what's attacking you. Even if the outcome is exactly the same, you know, it's 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 better to deal with what you can see. Great. Thank you. Really helpful tips there. So, Ed, I'm definitely getting you back on this podcast, if that's okay, to talk about Mm -hmm. this more. 
And I know that you run um, a Facebook group and you put loads and loads of other information out there. So how, how can people join that? How can people contact you if they want to? So if you want to join the Facebook group, it is only open to healthcare professionals. But if you work in health, if you search for either difficult conversations in medicine as a, as a group, or if you go to 10 Minute Medicine, which is a Facebook page, you'll see links to it. If you want to have, if you want to reach out to me or have a chat about anything, it's edward at 10minutemedicine.com. Brilliant. Thank you very much. So we'll we'll put those links in the show notes. I'd encourage people to, to join that group if they can and do read one of those books. You know, this is something we can all get a lot better at. So thank you so much, Ed, for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.